Years ago, I read C.S. Lewis' fictional book, The Screwtape Letters. If you've never read it, it's centered around the correspondence between two demons. Now, the one demon named Screwtape gives his devilish advice to the other demon named Wormwood. Wormwood is a demon new to the task of tempting and disrupting the life and faith of a Christian. It's an interesting book. It's one that Lewis described as easy but not enjoyable to write. He said this about it. He said, Though it was easy to twist one's mind into the diabolical attitude, it was not fun, or not for long. The strain produced a sort of spiritual cramp. The world into which I had to project myself while I spoke through screw tape was all dust, grit, thirst, and itch. Every trace of beauty, freshness, and geniality had to be excluded. It almost smothered me before I was done. In other words, as someone with a sin nature, it wasn't impossible for Lewis to conjure up the proud and vile thoughts that could be attributed to demons. But as a Christian, he struggled to continue in that mindset long, even for this fictional work. But what's always been interesting to me is that C.S. Lewis said that he wished he could have written about the other side of the spiritual realm, too. About what an archangel might say in giving advice to a guardian angel. But he felt that to write something like that meant, as he put it, every sentence would have to smell of heaven. He didn't feel that he was worthy or able to find the right words for something like that. But it would be interesting to imagine a heavenly conversation like that, wouldn't it? Between angels. But you know, the truth is that in the Bible we have something far greater, far more beautiful, far more breathtaking than a conversation between angels. Let's look at this together as we turn to John chapter 17 this morning. In John chapter 17, as Jesus continues spending time with his disciples before his death on the cross, we find now that the Son of God stops and prays to the Father. He blessed his disciples to hear that prayer, every heavenly word of it. Through it, we learn so much about the heart of our Savior and his desire for his followers. His is a prayer sweeter than any of us could ever imagine or speak. The famous reformer Philip Melanchthon said of it, There is no voice which has ever been heard, either in heaven or in earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than the prayer offered by the Son to God himself. And my hope is that we would each be challenged and greatly encouraged this morning as we see the truth that Jesus prayed for you, believer. He prayed for you. We're in John chapter 17. Let's begin in verse 1. We find this. It says, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Let's pause right here. As his prayer opens, I want us to recognize what Jesus gave up for us when he took on flesh and came to this world. When he did that, 
He left the place of his glory in heaven, the place of his throne, his majesty and praise. Then he laid aside that inherent glory that has been his since eternity past. When Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come in spectacular form, trumpets blaring, himself shining like the sun, moon, and stars. No, the prophecy of Isaiah 53 tells us that the Messiah had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. More than that, Jesus was born to a poor family, lived in humble circumstances. He's the king of the universe. All things are his. Yet, he didn't demand comfort or ease. During his earthly ministry, when someone asked to follow him, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus laid aside much to come to a broken, dirty, sinful world full of people he knew would reject him. He temporarily laid aside his glory when he came to this earth, and he did that for you and me. Now understand that in these things, Jesus did not lay aside his deity. When he took on flesh, he was still fully God, fully God and fully man. But he temporarily veiled his personal glory when he walked among men. After all, the personal display of his glory wasn't how he sought to draw men to himself. In fact, had he come in all his glory, I'm certain that people couldn't have handled it. In Exodus chapter 34, we find that when Moses met with God, his face would shine as a result of simply being in the presence of God's glory. And the Israelites were so fearful of that radiance that Moses would put a veil over his face after speaking with God so that the people wouldn't shrink back in fear. Now, imagine if the Lord himself came down at the incarnation with all his glory. Imagine how terrified we would be. But he laid his glory aside. He veiled it. Jesus was never here putting on a show, but he was looking for hearts earnestly seeking the truth. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he came this way in humility, making himself like a servant, in human likeness, the appearance of a man, God taking on flesh, so that he could die for us. And as he prayed, Jesus said, that hour had come. The hour of his death, the cross was quickly approaching. Soon Jesus would die, be buried, powerfully rise from the dead, and then ascend to heaven. He would return to the glory that has always been his, the worship, praise, and majesty he temporarily laid aside so that he could die for us. And this was his mission in coming to the earth, to die on the cross and rise from the dead, bringing about this eternal life that he gives to all those who come to him in faith. Those are the ones who have come to know God. The ones who have an intimate knowledge of him, who have stepped into a relationship with him, have done so through faith in Jesus. Having brought the Father glory throughout his time on earth, now God would be glorified as the death and resurrection of Jesus brought about this free and full salvation. Believers, this prayer we are looking at in John chapter 17 shows us the heart of Jesus even from the beginning. Recognize his love for you when he laid aside his glory in order to bring us forgiveness and salvation through his death and resurrection. As Jesus continues praying, we're going to keep seeing his love for his people. Look at verse 6. He said, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. 
I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. You see, next, Jesus prayed for his disciples. These were the ones he had revealed the Father to, and who obeyed because they had accepted his words. These were his true followers, unlike those we've seen throughout the Gospel of John who quickly deserted Jesus when things got tough. And Jesus said of the disciples as he prayed to the Father, Jesus said, They were yours. You gave them to me. I like how one pastor put it. He said, As Jesus is the Father's gift of love to the world, so believers are the Father's gift of love to Christ. What a sweet thing for the disciples to hear. What a sweet thing for them to be known by Jesus, to be called by Jesus, and to belong to Jesus. And believers, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 14 tell us that we too belong to Christ. You are precious to him. You are his. When the disciples heard these things, I imagine that they leaned in more than before, eager to hear what would come next as Jesus prayed for them. Look at verse 11. Jesus said, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Keep your place in John chapter 17. The disciples are the ones who went through thick and thin with the Lord. This was not a prayer for the world or those of it, like Judas Iscariot, who had fully given himself over to the plans of the devil and was doomed to destruction like the devil. No, this was for the disciples. They had walked with Jesus, believed in Jesus, and now they would be left without Jesus when the Lord returned to the place of his glory. So Jesus asked the Father to protect them. This does not mean to keep them from all harm. Jesus already told them that the world would hate and persecute them. He told them in chapter 16, verse 33, that they would have tribulation in this life. To be saved from all pain and hardship would be to be removed from the world. But Jesus specifically said, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus knew that his followers would have many enemies. But the enemy we are commanded to fight against is not our human persecutors in this life. No, they are the ones that we've been told to love and pray for in Matthew chapter 5. The enemy we fight is a spiritual enemy, believers. We are told in Ephesians chapter 6 to stand firm against the devil and his schemes. 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us to stay alert because the devil is like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus prayed that the disciples would be protected from the evil one because Jesus knew that the greatest struggles for his people in this life would come from the spiritual realm. 
But he didn't pray for them to be taken from the world. In fact, he was sending them into the world. Believers like the disciples, we too are here for a purpose. Jesus is sending us out into the world to share him with others. Jesus prayed that they would be sanctified, that they would be set apart for God and God's work. Just as Jesus set himself apart and fulfilled this salvation mission from the Father, so too his people are set apart for the work of God and should follow Jesus' example and diligently pursue that work. This sanctification comes by truth, which is his word. And as we allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts and lives, we will not be found living idle lives. No, instead we'll be out in the world sharing the gospel and living for Christ. Here's the thing, it's true that Jesus prayed these things for the disciples specifically, but that doesn't mean he does not desire these things for his followers today. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Lord provides all we need to overcome evil and the evil one, believers. The Bible tells us he desires our sanctification as well. He still desires these things for his people. But let's keep going in John chapter 17, because after Jesus prayed for the disciples, he prayed for us. For me and you, believer. And I hope that as he does, we'll lean in more than before, eager to hear what he will pray next. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus prayed here for those who would believe in him through the message of the disciples. That means that Jesus prayed for all his future followers. Jesus prayed for me and you, believer. Do not think that Jesus does not have you on his mind. You were on his mind long ago. He even prays for us here in John chapter 17. So believer, on the day when you feel alone, on the day when you question the Lord's love for you, on the day when you wonder about his commitment to you, return to John chapter 17 and see his prayer for you. He is thinking of you. So what did he pray for us? What was his heart's desire for all of us? Well, he prayed that we would be one that we would be in complete unity together. It was never Jesus' plan that we would waste precious time as Christians bickering about things rather than spending our efforts on sharing the gospel, praising God, and growing in our faith. Yet so many Christians are divided today. We do bicker about things. I read an article online a few weeks ago. It was written by a professing Christian who was openly rooting for the downfall and the destruction of the Southern Baptist Convention. Just because this individual didn't like what certain leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention have said or done. Now I'm not saying that the Southern Baptist Convention is perfect, 
But I was shocked that this this individual didn't mention anything about praying for the convention or praying for those leaders. Didn't mention anything about praying for revival. It was just about destruction. I'm not saying it's wrong to disagree with each other, but where's the love for one another that Jesus commanded? Where's the unity that he desires for his people? I'm not saying we can't disagree about things or that we shouldn't stand firm on doctrine. But for those of us who share the same faith in Christ and the gospel, we are to be united because it's part of our testimony to the world. Yet there are Christians hoping for the downfall of one another, rooting against different churches, and then we wonder why so many people refuse to hear the message about our great God. Church, let's earnestly desire to be united as a church and to live in unity with fellow Christians outside our church as we share the gospel. This is part of our testimony to the world. Let that unity be our aim in this life as we look forward to our eternal life. And speaking of that eternity, Jesus said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. If you ever think that Jesus does not think of you, remember that he prayed for you. Remember that he died for you. And remember that Jesus said he wants you to be with him for all eternity. Jesus wants you. I know a man who professes to be a follower of Jesus, but who is absolutely terrified at the idea of the joy and glory of heaven. And this man has admitted that he would rather cease to exist after this life than to step into eternity. Now, if he's a believer, I don't think he understands how much Jesus wants him to be in heaven. If you remember nothing else this morning, believer, remember that Jesus wants you to be with him. But that until then, he has a purpose for us here. That we would live in unity, displaying his glory to the world, leading others to him, that he might be glorified by us in the world. Believers, Jesus prayed out loud in John chapter 17 for our benefit. And he said in verse 13, I say these things while I am in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I hope that in his prayer we find much joy, much encouragement, much strength for today. Because through it we have an intimate glimpse into our Savior's heart. As a result, we need to be impacted by this truth this morning. And I know it will sound quite simple, but it is this. The things Jesus prayed about, Jesus cares about. I'm going to say it again. The things Jesus prayed about, Jesus cares about. Let me explain why that's important for us. Jesus prayed for the unity of his people. He prayed for the spiritual protection of his people. Jesus prayed for the sanctification of his people. That means that Jesus cares about these things. I hope that that will challenge us to pursue these things in our lives. I hope that will challenge us to pursue unity with our fellow believers, to pursue that work that we have been set apart for, to rely on him for the spiritual strength we need to overcome our enemy. And then remember that Jesus also prayed for you. So he cares about you. You're important to him, believer. You are worth much in his sight. No hardship, no persecution, no danger, no trouble will ever change that. And I hope that will always encourage us. 
They say that this prayer of the Lord in John chapter 17 greatly encouraged the reformer John Knox, so much so that he read it many times throughout his life. And they say that when John Knox was laying on his deathbed and his wife asked what passage of scripture to read to him, he said, read where I first put my anchor down in the 17th chapter of John. I pray that the Lord's words would encourage us often as well, that they would challenge us to be unified together, to live in his strength and to live lives set apart for his purposes. And as always, believers, let's pursue these things together. If you're joining us this morning and Jesus Christ is not your savior, please understand that this prayer was not for you. This prayer was for his followers. But if you're joining us and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, understand that not long after this, Jesus would offer up another prayer that I do want you to hear. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That is his desire for you, friend. Jesus' desire for you in your life is that you would receive the forgiveness that he is offering you of your sins so you could enter a relationship with him. You see, the problem, friend, is that all of us have sinned. We've all broken God's commands. And the problem with our sin is that they deserve punishment. The only just punishment is that we'll be separated from God forever in a place called hell after this life. And the bad news is we can't make up for our sin. No amount of good works, going to church, will ever bring us closer to God. None of these things will ever make us right with God. So Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. And at the end of that life, he willingly died on the cross. He became our substitute, taking all the wrath we deserve for sin. After he died, he was buried. And then three days later, powerfully rose from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God. And Jesus is standing in heaven right now, waiting to offer you the forgiveness of all your sins, the salvation of your soul, and a right relationship with him, if only you will come to him in faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he's giving you the opportunity to make that choice, the freedom to make that choice, friend. What choice will you make? Understand that where you stand with Jesus in this life will determine what happens when you stand before him at the end of this life. And I pray that you will choose to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ today. Let's pray together. If you're with us today and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, please understand that no matter where you are in life, no matter where you find yourself right now as you listen to this, you can give your life to Jesus Christ. You can receive that forgiveness and that salvation. You can go to him in prayer right now, wherever you are, and he'll hear you. You can admit to him that you know you're a sinner. That you know he died on the cross for you. That you believe he didn't stay in the grave but rose from the dead. Ask him for the forgiveness of your sins. Give him your life. He'll save your soul. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, that you would help us to be one, to be in complete unity. I pray that you would help us to pursue the work that you have set us apart for. I pray that we would be a people that would please you in everything that we say and do. And in those moments, Father, where we are greatly discouraged, where we wonder what you are doing, where you are, or what you are thinking of us, help us to always remember that Jesus wants us to be with him where he is. 
I pray we would always be encouraged by this. But until that day, until we are in your presence, help us to have a good testimony in this world by being united together in love and by sharing your glory with others. Father, we love you. But as always, we thank you for loving us so much more. In Jesus' name, amen.